you know, you don't have to go full on in, in depth if they don't want to, but just to have a basic understanding on how some of these tools work, how some of the technology evolves and, and how it is at its current state, I, I think that'd be a great place to start. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Becoming a physical security technology manager might sound counterintuitive, but with today's guest, Paul Nieto III, we're going to explore how it's a viable and fulfilling career path for the physical security specialist. And I'm here with Sean West, and I think this is exciting, mainly because it's not trying to beat people over the head and say, you've got to get coding skills, you've got to get IT skills. It's saying there is a happy medium where you can cherish your physical security expertise, but add something additional. Um, what, where, where do you think we can go with this today, Sean? Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to hear from Paul again. I know he spoke at a few of your events, so it's always great hearing somebody who's got a physical security background, but he's also went into the technical space of providing solutions and, and learning what he's got to say about the matter. Because in the time I've worked in the industry, it's great being a physical security specialist, but I think you've always got to have different strings to your bow as well. And there's the old saying, a jack of all trades, master of none. And some people that may apply to, but I think if you're dedicated to your profession and you can find avenues and paths you can go down where you can add value in your role, I think it's a great place to start. I mean, we've always championed development and you don't have to be a technical security expert to become a technical, a physical, what did you call the title of the job, <laughs> his role? The uh, physical security technology manager. Yeah, I mean, what I've worked for many organisations in the past, and I always know that the CEO of one of the organisations I worked, he was one of the most savvy men I've ever came across. I worked for a family, and you know they had garden teams, estate teams, housekeepers, security teams, chauffeurs, everything. And no matter what he was talking to, he'd come down to the ground level, he'd speak to all the troops, as I'd call them, housekeeper, whoever it was, and he would ask questions to, you know, garden teams. He would ask questions to it. And he took the time to learn everybody's role. And he, he knew what they were talking about. So if you bring a company in and you're asking for a quote on whatever it may be, he had the experience of dealing with so many properties of the principal's estate in many different countries. And he would listen to what the company would say or the individual would say. And people may try and pull your pants down and blind you with, whatever information they're giving you. But then when he fires the question back, but what about this? Why isn't there drainage in there? Or, or whatever it is. And it, it sets them back. And they're like, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. And you don't need to know have the in-depth knowledge to carry out the role, because that's not your primary role. But to have knowledge of these different areas, the network to be able to bring people in and know what they're talking about and knowing they're not going to pull your pants down is a great skill to have. Absolutely, I love that, and 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 you know you you draw great conclusions and and, and parallels um, with a, a lot of other areas, and and so and so maybe that's what we should see this as, just another area. Uh, are you a medically trained EP professional, or as we had uh, earlier, maybe um, 
with one of the earlier uh, podcasts with Christian West, he was putting forward the uh, technical EPO. Uh, it's just another facet which helps you to become dangerous. But you're not a camera manufacturer, are you? You're not a you're not a, a alarm system distributor. You're just dangerous in that area. Yeah, I mean ex- exactly what you said. You know, if you're a physical security specialist, you're there as a bodyguard. You, you need to know how these systems work. You know, access control at the estate, the CCTV, what's covered, what's not covered. You know, where there's areas that aren't covered, you need to know. Okay. So we put a solution in that space. And if you're just going in your body and that's all you are, you're, you're the, the high-end muscle. I think you're selling your, your principal short. You know, you should put yourself out there, get the knowledge of what you're meant to be providing, the tech that's in place as part of the overall security bubble and, and know how it works. And at least, so if you get asked the question, you've, you've got some knowledge and you can give him an answer that, an answer that he would expect from someone who's employing in that position. And at the very least, many people have heard the urban myth, although maybe it's not an urban myth, of the security team that didn't know how to turn off the alarm <laughs> when it was going off all night. Now, we don't know. If it, is it true? We don't know. But 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 at least a little bit of you know technical savviness or maybe one physical security technology manager on the team yeah, it could make all the difference. Exactly that. I mean, if, if you know what technology is there and you can explain what it brings to the table, and you know how it works, how you can utilize it, it becomes a force multiplier. So, yeah, having, you know, dipping your toe and learning some about the technologies that's out there is a great skill to have. Fantastic. Well, let's get into it with Paul. I'm excited to have him on. He's got a wealth of experience, but also new facets of information to bring to us. This is Paul Nieto III, and we're exploring the Physical Security Technology Manager. And now, let's meet one of the contributors to The Circuit magazine. Physical Security Technology Management. Today, we're delighted to welcome Paul Nieto III, a physical security technologist. John Moss and myself, we're very pleased to have you on. How are you doing? Great. Thank you. Today, we're going to look um, at physical security technology from a very refreshing perspective, that of someone from physical security. We, we often find it's the reverse. It's sort of a solution in search of a problem. Uh, so, so, so let's get into it with our three quick fire questions. What problem do you think we need to solve in the industry as it stands with regards to physical security technology management? That's actually a great question. And I was actually talking about that with one of my friends, uh, colleagues about that. Uh, one of the key things for me that I bring to the table and you know, I bring, uh, especially at my last uh, position was that once physical security technology is placed, it's forgotten about. Yeah, you might do your, your monthly or new firmware patches, but if you look at it from the other side of the, of, of the lens from a cyber standpoint, they're always pen testing or doing security web app testing, right? finding vulnerabilities. Whereas, you know, you have key integrations and I'll use an example from what I used last, Envoy uh, integrating from an API standpoint to Linnell, those things aren't tested out, right? They're vulnerabilities. So, and same thing with readers, uh, things that aren't compliant or up to best practices. So things like that from a technology standpoint, I think aren't fully tested 
and executed that way, or there's no actual tabletop or ex exercises uh, that come to the table. So for me, I, I would definitely say that's probably the biggest concern for me. Uh, I don't know if it's just the physical security label that oh, once it's there, it's going to get patched um, or, you know, whoever's managing the software. But uh, that's one of the key issues I see today. Okay. Yeah. Lots of people sort of fire and forget or install and forget off the shelf solutions. Um, but what about uh, you? Where does your passion for this uh, come from? Because I, I know your, your physical security first and then, and then technology added on. Yeah, actually, uh, you know, this passion, I always like to, I, I always like to tinker with things. Uh, my dad was a, a gifted mechanic and that's where I got the skill set and actually started in the facility side. However, I was always into technology. Uh, I remember as a kid, I was uh, booting people's DirecTV and Dish Network cards to get the free package, uh, but also had the mechanical skill, right? And I always wanted to tinker as, you know, started off with locks and started escalating. And so, you know, that's where the security mindset and passion came for me. It actually started from, you know, mechanical, wanting to be a mechanic when I was younger. Great. No, that's 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 great uh, experience, you know, growing up as, as, as a child. But for those out there who are not uh, yet, uh, you know, so minded, the uninitiated, uh, so, so to say, what would you say they need to better understand about physical security technology management? If there is to start right now with no background uh, and they wanted to get into the field and, you know, say they want, one day woke up with the passion for it, I would definitely say hit the network side of things. That's where everything starts from, especially from a technology standpoint. Understand network fundamentals, uh, you know, what's a VLAN, <clears throat> how some of the things connect, especially on the security side of things. How are things protected? Uh, do they need certificates for signing on? Uh, and then also from there, once you got that that uh, foundation built up, then I would go to the API piece uh, for the integration, how things are integrated. And then after that, the third phase would be the cyber side of things for overall protections from a security standpoint. And, and by API, uh, can can you help our completely uninitiated uh, listener understand what, what what does that involve? So API is pretty much uh, usually their uh, API is pretty much where say like you have one tool. Uh, and then you want to connect it to another tool for integration. They communicate. Uh, how we done it last was we used uh, either through a URL when you have a service account, and then or you could also build out a separate server so the two don't touch. Uh, they have a centralized server so the data is transferred. If there's anything that happens, it'll corrupt on that centralized server, not the two main ones. Say like if you have a Linnell and Workday, for example, integration. Okay. All right. So I'm going to jump in here, and I'm. And, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be pleased to hear this. I'm going to come at this very deliberately from the point of view of a physical protection specialist only who doesn't have a technology background. So I'm, I'm going to hopefully be able to extract the gems of your knowledge, Paul, and uh, present help to present that to our listeners in a way that they can understand if, if they don't have a background in this like yourself. And so perhaps just to set the scene, uh, you know, looking at the, the wider threat landscape and so on, what, what would you say are some of the, the threats, the trends that we're experiencing at the moment? What do people need to be aware of? Uh, yeah, so first off, the, the one key I, I see is, you know, you got the, the standard of a bug, right, uh, going in. Uh, there's been tools that have been put out on the market called hot plugs. 
not only do you get a listening device, but you get full access to your, uh, you know, principals or executives phone, uh, live video, you could access their contacts, email. So stuff like that, uh, I would definitely uh, consider an issue. And that could be implemented through, you know, however those are uh, handed out through your IT team, uh, help desk, uh, you know, it could trail all the way back. Secondly, uh, I would definitely go with everything being connected. Uh, number one being vehicles nowadays, uh, vehicles being hacked, uh, principals driving a lot of the latest and greatest, um, you know, connected vehicles. That's going to be an issue down the line. Uh, I think it, it's actually an issue now. Uh, how are our EPs going to mitigate those risks and counteract those risks? How are they going to find those vulnerabilities? How are they going to be able to protect against those? Uh, that's the, the, That would be the second one. The third one, I would probably go more, more with the overall, uh, we've got the, what we call the remote work going on. So from an executive standpoint, everything's being connected. Uh, how are the uh, EP teams working with the cyber or network teams for that organization if that is set up in the principal or executive's house? Uh, you know, easy access uh, from the ring device or, you know, the freezer, uh, TVs, uh, making sure those are all uh, mitigated and working in, uh, in parallel with the cyber network teams for that organization. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, certainly... That, that last point, that's something that we spoke about a few times on the podcast now. And, and actually, it underpins a lot of the discussions we have in terms of, you know, this, this is a big, wide industry. Yes, our audience, you know, it is mostly made up of protection specialists, yeah. but we don't work in a silo. And it's always about how do we fit in? What's our place? How can we assist the other branches and divisions and areas of the security industry and how it all connects together? You know, and, and I know I remember going all the way back to one of our early podcasts with James Bohr. And that, that was, uh, if you don't know, James, James is a cybersecurity specialist. And he, you know, is, is at great pains to, to always emphasize the security part of cyber security and how actually if we all think security first and we don't need to be threatened by the cyber part that we don't understand and that actually we can talk to our peers in these different areas of the industry with the part that we have in common that being yes. security so it, it's great to hear that echoed back and um and 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 the first point you made with particularly with uh you know bugging and so on i, I guess that's something that's probably become a, a more of a recent trend perhaps because of uh the lockdown and covid and absences from the workplace <clears throat> has has that had an effect and now people going back into the workplace where maybe they've stood empty for a long time or or is there something else driving that perhaps technology yeah, uh, actually, uh, these have been in place for a while. I actually started off one of the big ones. I I used to, uh, you know, do it on the side for side projects was called the rubber ducky, but they've enhanced some new tools. And it's not just one of the companies called Hack5. They actually made for red team for pen testing engagements. Um, however, you know, they're sold to the public and, you know, they're really easy to, uh, to add payloads or whatever you want to do to them. Uh, they have cables that are C to, uh, USB C to C. Uh, for phones, I, iPhones, iPads, et cetera. And they're actually hot plugs to brute force the password and get data. Um, so these are just the advancement, I would say, in the technology field. 
uh, you know, mm. and, you know, say if they're at an event in Las Vegas, the attacker could be at the pool side on his laptop gathering and hearing all this information uh, with one of these devices. So that's that's pretty much, uh, you know, what I what I see going that that trend going and moving forward. However, you're right with that example, with the offices being vacated, uh, you know, there should be thorough checks on all these devices. All you need is a USB extension uh, hidden behind the, the cubicle and have one hanging down. No one will ever notice. Right. It's just a standard USB going to who knows where or Ethernet cable. So there's actually checks that should be in place for going back into the offices nowadays. And, and this is where it would be great to have somebody like yourself on the team who has who brings that blended experience of both sides of the fence onto the team. But um, let's say we don't have that when we're not fortunate enough to have that experience on the team. Can we as physical operators get ourselves up to speed relatively quick to be able to go into an environment such as, you know, we were just talking about where perhaps an office has stood empty or we're, you know, inhabiting it for the first time to be able to do uh, a comprehensive sweep on our own with skills that, you know, that we've picked up or is this really something we should leave to the specialists like yourself? Um, that That's actually a good question. I think, honestly, for me, I would see, I would see the trend, number one, go into adding, adding this, Type of type of mitigation into the uh, executive protection training, right? You don't need to be a, a, a red, full-on cyber red teamer penetration tester, but you got to have the, at least the basic fundamentals on how these attacks work and how to find them, right? I would I would start adding that to the training solution, and then the other, depending on the organization, I would work hand in hand and have some side projects collaboratively with uh, cyber teams and red teams. I, I think the convergence is not just going to happen on the technology side, but it's also going to happen on the EP side as well. Like I said, everything's being connected. So there's that, that shift is going to have to change. I, I would say as of yesterday, then uh, today being late. So I, I would go those two routes, add it to the training. You don't need to be the full on programmer, creating your own payloads, but just have an understanding of, of the technology, what to look for. And then also working in hand in hand with the cyber or and or red team if the organization has it. Yeah, so you're, you're very much advocating for the operator to, to have some emphasis, uh, onus, sorry, on them and that they should uh, take some of this upon themselves to seek the information because, you know, I, I, I totally see it. Um, you know, I, I came into the industry before a lot of this te this technology and these terms and these threats existed to, you know, the severity uh, and and uh, the you know as as popular and as uh, prevalent as what they are today, it, it wasn't the case. You know, we were uh, our nearest exposure would be the Cold War, and you yeah. know, in this sort of thing. Uh, whereas very, it is now. It's a, it's a big part of our day to day job, and I suppose that we cannot live in the past. And we, we have to accept that things are changing. And we if we want to stay relevant, we need to seek out that training and get ourselves up to speed. Uh, so we think, thinking about looking ahead, so that, that's a great uh, snapshot of where we're at. And I know it's always dangerous to uh, become a futurologist <laughs> live yeah. on air, but... But where where do you think we're going? What in what direction should we be looking uh, for future threats and trends? 
Yeah, as far as that, I would say definitely um, as far as the future trends going, I'd say more uh, as executives become more connected, devices become more connected. I, I think that's going to be the biggest vulnerability, right? Um, and then also throwing in the, the use and now the mainstream, uh, you know, use of blockchain as well. Uh, also IoT devices, uh, AI. Um, you also got some new uh, tools coming out for, uh, I forgot the term, but uh, where the, or deep fakes, I'm sorry. So stuff like that, mm -hmm. where that could damage a, a principal's or executive's reputation not, and also, you know, uh, the organization as well. Um, so I see stuff like that really, really starting to, to pick up speed uh, going into the future as far as trends. And then also, you know, part of the connected, connected vulnerabilities, uh, vehicles nowadays, uh, I've seen those being a big target now. Uh, you know, I think in January, there was a, a teenager that had, what, 18 or 20, full control of 18 or 20 Teslas. So, you know, I see that being a big issue going forward too. And then also automated self-driving cars. That's going to be, you know, same line, but another road to hit. So, yeah. so on, on that, can, can I jump in? Because I think that that presents a really fascinating uh, either one way or the other future for the executive protection professional. Do you think with the prevalence of all these AI threats and AI solutions that we're going to see actually less demand for really technical ability as AI solutions become easier for the untechnical to use? Uh, did, you know, is, is that a possibility? That is possible. However, it's going to be dependent on, on which technology the AI solutions are, are, are here for. Um, so, you know, and then obviously, for whatever reason, some of these technologies seem to, to hit the EP or physical security sector last, or they're not as, as more of a priority as a cyber side kind of things, or even the financial sector for that matter. So that's, that's going to be another issue. I, I think they will be here, but I think it's going to be longer than other other sectors. Uh, and then, you know, one, one key thing, you know, uh, I was talking with uh, one of my old coworkers about this as far as uh, future threats, right? Uh, some may, some could argue that it's here today with implanted RFID chips, but you've got technologies like Neuralink, right? Which probably your principals or executives are going to have to download data with the brain Im implantation. How is that going to change the executive protection field, right? Say, God forbid, if that principal or executive is down, now the EP has to extract that data and they have to have that device into their brain. How? And then, you know, there's all kinds of questions. How much of that brain or thought process is now owned or IP of that, uh, that organization or company? So there's all kinds of futuristic technologies and questions uh, that are, you know, streamlined. And, you know, how is that going to change? Is that going to turn off people for even wanting to do executive protection? Uh, is it going to be a whole new brand new field or organization within a, you know a team or department so there's a lot of questions granularity questions with all that stuff coming down the road and some might even say it might be here five to ten years who knows i think uh i think for our audience listening to this episode i think already 50 percent of them are more excited about the future direction and 50% of them are already thinking about their retirement age and can they get out before yeah. they need to uh, get their feet wet with all of this and, and I can totally appreciate both sides of it. I feel like I'm sort of in the mid middle of the road and uh, while technology, I always find it exciting, but usually from the point of view of, you know, how can I harness it, you know, in my own personal life. 
because we all know you know you work with a principal who skis so you need to ski yep. you, you we we just saw <clears throat> with the uh the pandemic you know that the principal wants to travel you've got to get vaccinated doesn't matter yep. what your what your stance is on that if you want to keep working then you need to get vaccinated and now you know you mentioning neuralink that okay so the principal's got neuralink so guess what you got to get neuralink and just and in I case think, the data uh, needs to be extracted yeah yeah so. yeah this it's it's a lot of exciting prospects there but um you, you know not not to not to uh get too overwhelmed Paul, perhaps you can, uh, you know, help reassure some of our listeners uh, in in terms of those who are sat there thinking now about, you know, obsolescence, you know, becoming obsolete within their role if, you know, they don't uh, learn, if they don't progress and keep up with this. And I mean, it, it, it is moving fast. It's a fast pace, uh, you know, changing threat. So, do we need do we need all of our protectors to be on the cutting edge keeping up with this or is there a place for you know perhaps a a technical protection officer who's hired like like yourself specifically because they can blend and harness both uh, skill sets yeah uh i i honestly think you could go one or two ways uh number one uh, you know, the learning this on the side, learning these skills on the side is not going to hurt. It's just going to better the the overall, you know, uh, executive protection uh, person or team, right? I think to start off without get everyone getting rushed in for the training and, and feeling they have to learn in such a hurry and soak all this information in, I think it's best to, to start off slow on the training side, but however, implement someone with the, a background of the technology, but also has understanding of executive protection. Uh, I think that would kind of like how some of the, you know, the military teams insert a corpsman on their team kind of, you know, I would say it would be similar like that. Uh, that would be my first approach to go. And then depending on your organization, uh, the, the types of principles you're, you're going to be protecting, I would say now that you could, you could base that upon the training, how you want to di- uh, diverse the training within the team, seeing who needs what, uh, that's going to be, you know, I think the industry needs to build out a standard, but it's going to be different from organization to different teams on what you're protecting, who you're protecting, the type of company uh, that you're working for, work, working with as a client. I think that those all play factors into the, into the decision making. And so, and so, Paul, I think this is this is obviously fascinating, and as we previously said, scary and intimidating. <laughs> or you know, uh, it depends how far out we we, we go with it. Yeah. Um, but but, and and I mentioned that you know the throwaway idea really are these tools going to be so easy to use that we don't need to understand how they work? Do you see the future of technology and EP polarizing everybody between the physical muscle operator and everyone else, and maybe a thinning out of middle management, a thinning out in the world of corporate security, of corporate security directors who maybe just become facilitators between the enforcement and the technology. Um, Because that would be sort of an actually a good thing in a way to to preserve the specialism of EP. Uh, You know, I know it's a bit countercultural. We're saying upskilling is important, but but, but do you think that it will create a divide between operations and technical uh, specialists? 
Yeah, that, that's actually a great question. I had this conversation yesterday, and I think I think the physical security technology piece should separate from physical security operations and be under cyber, right? It just makes sense the way everything's connected, the way the technology is coming and, and evolving in the physical security and all aspects of physical security. I think it just makes sense to be on the cyber side. The ops side, I feel that it should be the upside, I think, is going to expand out and, you know, it's going to be up to the security director role to make the change and evolve as well. Um, I've seen those being obsolete. And then if you look inside, if you're inside an organization, uh, some of there's a few that are actually doing it now where you got workplace services technology, physical security technology and AV technology. Now a new department or new team under cybersecurity. Right. So now. Facilities or real estate don't have the technology piece. It's all done within a, a new internal built-out team. So I see that that start that trend starting to pick pick up forward. And as far as you know, the EP side, I think EP and physical security operations, and you could even depending on the organization, depending on how big it is, the team, you could even see the crisis management team being all into one, a new EP physical security uh, op ops side, and then crisis management piece evolving. Uh, and then, you know, utilizing and working in parallel with that physical security technology and or cyber team going forward. That would be my my guesstimate on how the trends would be going in the future five to 10 years from now. Well, I think I think that's actually good news, ultimately, for the world of EP. I think I think, <laughs> you know, there's this there's this uh, big uh, drive in some of the you know trade press, at least you have to become some sort of script kitty hacker uh, no. and 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 K&R specialist, which 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 isn't the case no definitely not there's there would be no need for that even pen testers ethical hackers for the most part you don't really need to be uh you just got to know how to understand it or write certain scripts but you don't even need to understand or know a whole language so that wouldn't even make sense for an ep protection uh personnel to even go down that route i mean unless they want to do it on the side and build an app, internal app uh, learning go or something like that more power to them that's going to be beneficial skill set but there's no need for that Yet you've done it. You've made the jump. So, 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 so I'm, I'm curious, do you, do you think then that there will be some sort of role for this enhanced corporate security director? Is, is that that your direction of travel in your career is, are, are you trying to claim that throne? I would, I would love to, to be a, a director someday. And especially in the new technology field of physical security slash cyber. Um, that would be a goal of mine, um, you know, and then I also have the goal of the, the pen testing side of things. Uh, and then I also have to lead a, a physical security team again. Uh, you know, that, that's another passion I have. So I'm open to all three. Uh, again, that's the, the hybrid in me, I guess what people call. But um, yeah, I, I would love and, and see that route uh, leading a, a new technology team that's built out for the future. That would, that would be one of the a main goal of mine and also something to look forward to. Well, Paul, you, you mentioned, uh, we were speaking about this before we started recording, about your um, how, you, how you got to be where you are now and how this all started. And for, for yourself, it, it very much came down to having a, a real love and passion for machinery, the mechanical side of it as well. And do you think it's possible for um, somebody who is starting out purely uh, in, in the protecting space, the physical protecting space, to develop uh, this level of knowledge and, and 
you know, to become the kind of hybrid operator that you are now? Or would it not work that way? Would it would it only work if you had a true passion uh, for the technical side first? I believe it'll work. Uh, I would say it would the person would have to have drive because, uh, you know, it could be overwhelming. Sometimes it, it just gets tiring, even for me learning, doing uh, CTS on hack the box or try hack me pretty much every night and just learning and soaking in new stuff. There's days and mornings where I don't want to do it. You got to have drive. Um, and, and is it possible from coming from a different background, financial, mechanical, whatever, anything's possible, especially now with, with the way things are, there's all kinds of free, great content. Not just that there are some of the top people producing some of this free content in the world, uh, on, on any aspect from physical security, uh, especially in the cyber side, red teaming, pen testing, coding, all that stuff's there. It's just, you know, again, it's the drive and the will and the passion. I wouldn't say passion as, as, you know, I got to do it kind of thing. I would say just the drive and the will to learn. That's pretty much all you need. Mm -hmm. And do you have any recommendations for uh, resources, good resources where people could start with this, not too, you know, not too deep, but getting their toes wet? Yeah, uh, actually, as far as from, from you know, some stuff that, that will be beneficial for executive protection, I would start start with uh, David Bomble. He actually talks about hot plugs and how to how, how they're used and, uh, you know, shows does live demonstrations uh, and then also, you know, goes goes real granular with how these things work. Uh, another one would be the cyber mentor, Josh Hammond, just to get basic um, fundamentals on some of these pen test threats or, uh, you know, threats that are used from from a penetration standpoint and then also network chuck from the networking standpoint on physical security technology and how things function uh, i think those would be great for it to start off with and and just great to flesh out paul um you, you you very kindly mentioned hack the box and try hack me um many people will think oh no a capture the flag exercise that sounds terrible but from my limited knowledge would you say that some of the basic levels are comparable to like a sudoku puzzle um with, with some of the some of the more simple puzzles just to just to get uh, someone who's never done something like that in, in the mood yeah it's actually great uh i would start off with try try hack me um and it's not even going down the ctf part they got stuff for, you know, cyber side, learning Splunk, uh, how these things are automated, detected events and alerts. They got stuff for basic Linux, basic networking, uh, you know, stuff like that. So and then also from the CTF standpoint, yeah, I would just get it just to have a basic understanding on how the mind works. And you're right. It's just like that puzzle. Uh, just, you know, you don't have to go full on in, in depth if they don't want to. But just to have a basic understanding on how some of these tools work how some of the technology evolves and, and how it is at its current state. I, I think that'd be a great place to start. Absolutely. And I, I can already imagine an operator who's sitting there doing a, a crossword puzzle or a Sudoku or a Wordly going, do you know what? I think I could have a crack at that. Um, I yep. think, I think, I think that's inherently uh, accessible, um, but good. I like this and security technology is so often sort of presented to the physical security world as an afterthought, as, 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 as you as sort of alluded to. And, and so I'm really thrilled to have you on uh, where you're obviously, you know, wearing both hats, but you're a physical security specialist. Um, and even in your background today, you've got that lovely physical security sign, which will, <laughs> which definitely uh, for, for, for all of our listeners would reassure you that we're in the right place. So, 
Um, fantastic. Physical te uh, security technology management. It's a much broader, but a much more accessible topic than hopefully many of you will have considered at the beginning of this session. Um, what's next for you, Paul? Uh, I'm not sure what's next. Hopefully something down the line pops up, but yeah, I'm still, I'm still learning uh, ahead of the trends, ahead of the curves on, on all aspects of security, physical and cyber side. Um, that's pretty much my, uh, I've been like that, you know, since I started in the industry. So uh, just my mind, just keeping my mindset sharp and, you know, whatever the future holds, uh, I'll be ready for it. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways of today's episode as well. Staying sharp and staying on top of it, keeping ourselves relevant. Yep, that's correct. Fantastic. Well, from John and myself, it's been a pleasure having you on, Paul. This has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. Well, for me, that breaks it down into easy, accessible, bite-sized chunks of information. It's not this wall of acronyms or wall of, yeah, read this massive book. It's, it, it's a better look at how to become a physical security technology uh, professional. Um, I, I really appreciate uh, you know, hearing about Paul's journey and his certifications. Um, what, 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 what have you sort of taken away from uh, this sort of topic, Sean? Yeah, no, it was, it was great to hear from Paul again. And, you know, like I said in the intro, he, he's, you know, he spent a lot of time on his personal development, which is something we've championed for, for a lot of years. So whilst being a physical security specialist, he's took the time and he's done training in, in hacking, electronic certificates, whatever it may be, little bite-sized courses and, it's of academic training that he's carried out himself to, to improve himself and the services that he offers. And like we alluded to at the start, you know, you don't need to be have a degree in this particular subject area. You just need to have some knowledge and know what you're talking about. When you, you're not there delivering as the specialist, you can bring someone in, you can talk to them. At least you know what you're talking about. You know exactly what you want. You can explain what you want. And you have some knowledge in that area and it's you know it's, it's a great tool to have it is isn't it and it, it helps you on your path not just for further development but but when when as a protector you're thinking to yourself well what do i do later in life what do i do next uh many people will go into training okay fine that's that's a whole sort of skill set in itself but but many people will grav gravitate to be the trusted advisor even even if you didn't mean it, you get promoted and people trust your advice. So, you know, in that career pathway, you know, becoming a consultant rather than uh, a frontline operator, that that that's surely going to incorporate a lot of this, isn't it, Sean? Exactly that. And it's exactly what we've been seeing for a long time. In our game, as a professional CPO, you know, you become, you work for a lot of high net worth individuals, a lot of people with a lot of power, you know, very highly educated, intelligent people. Um, and you, you are paid, you're not the friend. You're there to provide a service and that's what they're paying, paying you for. And a lot of time, you know, as a gray area, some people become too close and, and blur the lines. But I think if you're there as an advisor, you spend a lot of years, opportunities do come and the life of a, 
a bodyguard or an executive protection officer is, is as limited time. You know, once you get to 50, 60 year old, you're not going to be walking into bodyguard teams and protecting. The opportunities become limited in that space. You know, you need to have grown your personal development, your knowledge, um, your skills, whilst you're doing, providing the service, so you can become a security manager or a security consultant, or as you said, a trusted advisor, because you'll have spent so many years in the industry, your network will have grown, and you know you can talk from experience. You've, you've been there, you've seen it, you've done it. So by growing your knowledge in these areas, it's adding a lot of strings to your bow and what you can offer to individuals, which will prolong your career and shelf life in the industry. And, and for me, it's just going to be fascinating. It's going to improve your your day to day. You know, it's going to it's going to help cite you much as, you know, people that have been in the military may go off and do a master's at King's in war studies. OK, what's it that what's that actually doing? That's giving you bigger context to what you've been doing. Um, and, and so I, I like this. Um, and, and in fact, some of our listeners may say, oh, well, what what courses uh, has uh, Paul been doing and what might I uh, do? Well, uh, of course, there are lots out there. Uh, but uh, Paul, for example, has done a, a few of the Try Hack Me, um, all one word, Try Hack Me uh, uh, courses online. Um, is that for everybody? I don't know. But it certainly gives you a flavor. And of course, previously, I've said that there's lots of nice free stuff on edx.org. Um, and of course, in our own community, there's lots of people who are just trying extra uh, topics just to augment uh, their uh, already great uh, you know, uh, uh, CV. Uh, many people will go to Elijah Shaw's um, red carpet course. Um, and, and, and it's just a, an augmentation of your existing role. But I would like to you know, surmise that maybe the technical EPO or the technical security uh, technology uh, professional is a is a whole avenue in itself. But anyway, that is that is for you, the listener, to decide if that's for you. Uh, but uh, but but do connect with Paul. It's uh, great to have him on, and I and I know he's very kindly spoken a, a number of things. He's he's also speaking at my Texas event uh, this coming Friday, so that will be amazing. Um, what else has been going on uh, in uh, the wider world, Sean? Uh, we're still working on the latest edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast, as always. And it was great to meet you the other night, Pelham, with your impromptu networking drinks. And great to meet Tim Wenzel for the first time. Um, yeah, interesting night. It was a shame I could only stay for a couple of hours, but it was great to meet some of our readers, listeners, and people who have provided content for us on the podcast in person again. It's always great to do a face-to-face. That's yeah, that that was a great opportunity, and uh, yeah, wonderful that Tim came over. Obviously, I like to uh, talk to Tim with his kindness games hat on, but of course, he has uh, you know a few other hats, uh, including his meta hat, and uh, you know that is testament to collaboration over the pandemic, which has resulted, of course, into more collaboration and now face to face networking. So uh, we'll we'll do more we'll do more of those. Um, this one I appreciate not much notice mainly because he, he's just coming in town and I thought let's tell the community uh, that uh, we're doing something. But uh, but but that that was great fun. 
And then, you know, coming up, uh, we have a number of interesting things. I have uh, the Sixth Annual Convergence Forum on the 9th of June, uh, which is a virtual event. I'm doing a few in-person interviews in said virtual event. And then afterwards, there's a reception for, you know, our community to come to as well. So we'll we'll send out more details about that. Um, and, uh, and yes, keep all that fantastic engagement on the NABA uh, Protector app coming, uh, as well as the BBA Connect app. It's, it's just delightful. I really like the protectogram this week that just because people are, are posting, yeah, of course, there are motivational uh, images, but, but people are posting some really thought through uh, things. I think uh, Mark, uh, Mark James posted something quite nice with our dear friend Elijah uh, with some nice quotes. Um, so, so keep all of that good stuff coming. And uh, we, 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 we absolutely were delighted to welcome Paul uh, today for the Circuit Magazine podcast. Um, let's keep the conversation going. Let's acknowledge that there are more facets to the EP profession than we ever thought possible. And, uh, and that's why it's exciting. So from Sean and myself, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.